Good morning, Willa Bend. I want to introduce our guest speaker for this morning's service, but in order to set the context for who Mark is and what Mark does, I want you to hear a little bit about the story of the missionaries that you support. Uh, Willow Bend Church gives monthly to Baptist Student Ministry, and what you're doing is you're supporting our ministries locally. And so I want you to hear briefly a short uh, story about what happens in the life of a college student who comes to faith in Christ. And so I want to have Daniel share his story with you this morning. Um, yeah, as Beth said, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm going to be real upfront with you guys. Um, I'm feeling a bit under the weather, uh, so just bear with me. Um, I'll try to keep this really short. Um, yeah, so my name is Daniel, and I came to college. Uh, I grew up in a nominally Catholic household, so I came into college without much of a faith background. Um, church was a place I went on Sundays because my parents took me, and outside of that, there was no discipleship. There was no uh, pursuit of God. There was no wanting to know who he was. Uh, and so that was kind of how I grew up. So that's the first 18 years of my life. And then moving into that, I came to college. Uh, my parents weren't there to drag me to church anymore, so I stopped going. Uh, it wasn't an important thing in my life. It wasn't something that I prioritized. I enjoyed sleeping in on Sundays, so I kind of stopped going. Um, and that is how, sadly, the first two years of my college experience were. Uh, but during those first two years, I got hired to be an RA at UT Dallas. Um, and I thought nothing of that. I was like, this is great. This is going to be a way for me to pay for my housing. Uh, but God had other plans with that. Uh, and so um, in being hired as an RA, I got put on staff with uh, Casey here, uh, also with some other great members of the Baptist Student Ministry, uh, two guys named Patrick and Mario. Uh, and their names are, um, those are some great guys. <laughs> um, but remember their names. Uh, so in being an RA, in being an RA, I uh, still was not pursuing the Lord. I was still living very much for my own self. Uh, I made some friends, and the three of us got into um, some not-so-good things. Uh, we were uh, heavily drinking uh, through college, even though we were underage, uh, even until when we were 21. Uh, we were very much just living for ourselves. Um, but in that uh, in that, I began to see uh, God working. And so shortly after my 21st birthday, uh, I was driving from Austin back up to Dallas. Uh, Austin's where I live. And I was driving back up, and a song came on on my iPod. It's By Your Side by 10th Avenue North. And if you haven't listened to it, you should. It's an awesome song. I love it. Um, but the song is God is talking about how he's going to be with us um, by our side uh, in the darkest night in, in all our troubles. And for whatever reason... That song just spoke to me, and that song just gripped me. Uh, and looking back now, I can see that that was God calling out to me and saying, Daniel, I want you to, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to know me. Uh, so I, in my ignorance, was like, that means I need to go to church on Sundays. So I started going back to a Catholic church, but I also started going to a Bible study that some of my coworkers were having. Uh, and little did I know, this Bible study was their small group from their BSM on Wednesday nights. Uh, they had invited me. I'd never had interest in going, but they kept inviting me. Uh, and then one week, I was like, yeah, I want to join you guys. Um, and they told me later that they were all really shocked and didn't know what to do. Um, but they were happy to have me, so I joined them. Uh, I started going to church with these people. I started going to the Bible study with them week in and week out. Uh, and that was the fall semester of my junior year. Uh, in January of that year, Mario and Patrick invited me to do a Bible study with just the three of us. Uh, we were just going to meet up once a week and just read the Bible. They said, I don't know, we'll just go through James, I guess. That seems like a good book. 
Uh, and so we did. We met up weekly. We'd go through James uh, a little bit, and then they would, you know, flip it back over to the gospel and uh, read about what Jesus came and did. And they kept reiterating that to me. They kept pouring into me. Uh, through that Bible study, I was able to be open with them, to ask questions, to tell them why I disagreed with what they believed. Uh, and they just, they just bore with me in patience, and they kept reiterating the gospel to me. Uh, and then in January, I very distinctly remember my prayers changing from, God, I want you to give me the words to say to argue with Mario and Patrick, to, God, I want you to just show me what is true, and, God, that's what I want. Uh, and shortly after those prayers, um, I heard the gospel in that Bible study for the first time. Uh, and not for the first time with my ears, but for the first time with my heart. Uh, and so through that Bible study, that's how I was able to come to know Jesus, and I was able to dedicate my life to him. Uh, and now I get to work for the Baptist Student Ministry. Um, so that's where I am now. Uh, that's my testimony. Uh, I have a longer version. If you're interested in it, we'll be in the back after service. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. <clears throat> I wanted you to hear Daniel's story because it's the story of life change that we hope for in Baptist Student Ministry. And he kind of already alluded to, to Casey. Uh, Casey was a student at UT Dallas, and she also has stayed on our staff. So these two guys every week not only work with the Baptist Student Ministry at UT Dallas, but every week they go up to the uh, Collin College Preston Ridge campus and are, have launched a ministry there again. And I want Casey to take a couple minutes just to tell you about what God's up to on that campus. Yes, absolutely. So it's been a combination of um, discipleship and uh, growing students who are already believers, as well as evangelism and sharing the gospel with students who have never heard it before and are not at all familiar with it. So we start off with doing a free breakfast. We have a table outside and we engage students as they're walking by. We ask them any number of questions. Um, Our activity this past week was about what the best gift they've ever received was. Um, not just for Christmas, not just, you know, from whoever, but just the best gift that they'd ever received. So that, you know, varies in answers in terms of a lot of material things, a lot of iPhones, things like that. Um, but also we got to talk to them about how the best gift that we've ever received um, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we start off with something like that as we're engaging the campus with free breakfast and with an activity if they want to engage with us. And then we move into a time of Bible study. And so we've had a consistent group of students that has come together to open up the word. And so we've talked about different encounters with Jesus that people have in scripture and the way that it just transforms their lives. Everyone has a response to Jesus. You can't just be indifferent to his claims. So we talk about that with this group of students. So that's been very cool to see this go over the course of the semester from one student to about 10 who are coming every single week to um, take time out of their classes and things like that just to talk about the word. So that's been a really encouraging thing is that these students who have come together to talk about the word are then also um, trying to to reach out to their campus in our um, outreach time and trying to facilitate conversations with with their peers. And so that's been a really good opportunity for um, for Daniel and me to just start investing and discipling some students. So we're hopeful that as we get students to come alongside us, that you guys will also come alongside us and partner with us, whether that's in volunteering or just in praying. Um, as Daniel mentioned, we have a table in the back. But if you guys just want email updates about ways that you can pray for us or students, um, we would love to give you their names so that you can lift them up to the Lord as we hope for the kind of heart change that Daniel's just described. So these guys, yeah, thank you, Casey. 
These guys raised their own support after graduating from college to stay and work with us in Baptist Student Ministry. And so I wanted them to come this morning. I also want to introduce Caitlin. Caitlin's on the front row. Uh, Caitlin and Mark are married to each other. But Caitlin also is on our staff, raises her own support to work with us with international students. And so uh, we wanted you to get just a picture of this missionary band that you're supporting at Willow Bend Church, working at UT Dallas and working at Collin College. And so uh, now we're going to hear this morning's sermon from Mark. Mark is the BSM director at UT Dallas. He he took over for Jenny, who got married and left uh, this last year. And so Mark came back to work for us. And we invited Mark to come and share this morning uh, the sermon. And so I'd like to pray for Mark before he begins this morning. So, Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to thank Willoughby Church for the support they give to these missionaries who are sharing the gospel on college campuses so that students like Daniel can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in him. So students at Collin College can uh, be engaged with the gospel message, that they can choose to follow you, that they can hear a message and choose to follow you. Uh, Father, as Mark leads this staff uh, in sharing the gospel with lost students and challenging Christian students to engage with their peers, Father, we pray that you would give them the strength and energy they need, the spiritual wisdom and insight to go forward and to share on campus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, hey, guys, can you hear me all right? We good? Okay, cool. Uh, yes, my name is Mark Warrington. I'm the BSM director at UT Dallas. I'm originally from West Texas, a little town called Big Spring, um, so out there on I-20 towards oil fields and such. Um, so, uh, West Texas boy, uh, I love the leaves changing colors here. Have been amazing. It's been kind of like speckled, and it's been really cool to see that. But uh, I, I don't know. Out in West Texas, we don't have any trees, and so um, it's it's a real treat for me. But uh, something Daniel said, I want to touch on really quickly. It was really neat. I liked how he said it. It says his ears, he heard about Jesus, but it wasn't until his heart believed um, in Jesus. And uh, that's a line very similar to a passage we're going to look at. This idea of seeing Jesus is seeing salvation. <laughs> and that's a really cool concept. To see Jesus is to see salvation. And that, is, that explains this excitement. Uh, the, sort of the big word of this season is anticipation, like what we said earlier today. Anticipation. Anticipation. To see Jesus is to see salvation. And so uh, anticipation is the subject of today's message. Um, I wanted to find it for you, uh, dictionary.com. Uh, as a good millennial, let me, let me look that up for you. It, it basically is uh, to um, uh, a realization in advance is what they call it. A realization in advance. A, a foretaste or an expectation or hope. Um, so you guys have the anticipation of a new pastor coming. And you're excited about that. Awesome. Uh, my wife and I, we just purchased a house. And, uh, well, it was in August and it had a lot of work to be done on it. So we're working on it in anticipation that eventually this house will become our home. <laughs> we had to rewire it and paint it. And Jude, bless his heart, was over there wherever Jude is, uh, came over to help us paint. And uh, uh, we're, we're moving forward on the promise, uh, the hope, uh, that eventually uh, this house will become our home. So there's excitement. There's something, an expectation, a foretaste of something good to come. Uh, in, in, in a legal sense, uh, anticipation refers to a premature withdrawal or assignment of money uh, from a trust or an estate. 
perhaps in anticipation of some sort of um, need for that. In music, this is kind of fascinating. It is a tone introduced in advance of its harmony so that it sounds against the preceding chord. <laughs> I like that. It's tying together uh, the preceding chord and getting you ready for the, the change um, upcoming. Kind of neat anticipation. So if you were given the promise of a future expectation, would you act on it now? Do you anticipate things? Would you make preparations and live now in a certain way in the solemn belief that a future condition will come to pass? And we do this. Um, how many of you uh, heeded perhaps your meteorologist's advice that uh, we were going to have a, a, a night below freezing? And so you brought in your plants. How many of you lost some plants? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, see, we, we have this promise, this expectation that it's going to drop below freezing. Um, and so we act accordingly now before it even happens. We, we, we don't see it happening just yet, but we know that it, it will happen. So we move forward in expectation that it will come to pass. Uh, we also do this with retirement, theoretically. The young folks out there, are you, are you saving for retirement right now? Um, we anticipate a time when we perhaps don't want to work <laughs> or um, perhaps uh, we need to focus on some different things. And so we, we start saving now. Uh, in anticipation for the future. Um, our farmers do the same thing, and um, our economy, our, our country does the same thing with, with like oil and that sort of thing. We, we are saving in anticipation uh, of a future need for it. So, so we do this all the time. Um, and anticipation is fascinating, too. Uh, in this season of Advent, even our little Advent wreath here is, is kind of neat. Um, when y'all were children, I don't know, maybe this was just me, I was a child and getting pumped and excited about Christmas, uh, nagging my parents, is it Christmas yet? Uh, we would do the, what's it called, like a Jesse tree or some sort of book where you pull out the little, for every day you pull out the book and you see a little Bible uh, story or something kind of pointing and counting down the days of Christmas. Or maybe you made one of those uh, paper rings and then you would pull a ring off because you're getting excited about what is, what is coming. Um, and it's having an effect on you now, and you're getting pumped about it. Uh, our, our Advent wreath, uh, they did some research on this. Uh, a Luther scholar um, found that uh, although the Advent wreath was uh, sort of seeing, seeing its origins in the 16th century, it was a uh, German Protestant pastor uh, who was, um, let me give you his name. His name was uh, Johann Heinrich Weichem. Uh And he was a champion of urban missions uh, and working with the poor, and he founded this uh, mission school, and his children would ask him all the time, has, has Christmas arrived? So he built this large wooden ring, and he actually put 20 small red candles around it uh, and four li- large white candles. And so every day would pass, they would light a candle, and then, of course, every Sunday you would light the big candle, uh, the big white candle. And, and, and they say that's where our Advent candle has come to pass. Uh, Advent wreath has come to um, pass is, is that tradition, this idea of anticipation and excitement, and how it has a profound impact on us today. Or at least it should. And that's sort of my question is, does our anticipation of the future affect us now, and should it? So today I want to explore a really unique account of this really interesting figure uh, who I think models anticipation very well. Uh, this saint recognized that God kept his word, and so his life reflected that belief. He's going to model for us how to live like God keeps his word. So let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this season. Thank you for the fact that you keep your word. Um, 
but uh, God, I pray right now you would, you would open up your word to us and, and, and open up our eyes to it. Teach us, Lord, uh, may we receive this message. Would you uh, guide me and speak through me, and would it be an honor? Uh, would it be honoring to you, Father? And we love you, since Jesus, and I pray. Amen. All right, so turn with, turn with me to Luke 2, uh, 25 through 35. This is the account of a really cool, uh, really neat account of Simeon is, is his name. Um, and, and this is happening early in the embassy, uh, I guess, the embassy narratives of Luke. Uh, and just a brief, uh, let me catch up quickly. Uh, Luke is writing to, it says, most ex- excellent Theophilus. But the idea is of a, of a Roman or a Gentile person, not necessarily familiar with uh, a lot of the Jewish customs. So he's, he's going to explain some Jewish customs. But his audience is very much Gentile people, non-Jewish people, kind of like us. Um, so this is his audience. Um, and so Luke has uh, some intention, some purpose, some motives in writing, writing his gospel account. He wants to get across some really cool um, and important concepts here. And so one of these concepts is, is the, I guess, the verification of and the significance of Christ and his birth. Um, and so he, he's going to, there's this Old Testament concept of, uh, of a witness um, or a truth being verified by two witnesses. Mm-hmm. Two, two witnesses. Uh, and so that's how you verify a truth. And so the truth here is that this Christ child is, is, is God, is Messiah, and is born, and is the salvation for the nation and for the world. And to verify that truth, we see these really cool stories of Simeon and Anna, really neat, and, and these are both uh, clearly Jewish folks, um, and so to verify and pro- provide credence to this, this truth, he's going to give a, a, a two witness two witnesses account. We're going to look at the first witnesses account. Also, what's happening um, here? Also, in the very first few chapters, we see these this really neat uh, pattern of a of a prophecy, and then its fulfillment. And then the person breaking out in praise because of the fulfillment of the prophecy. So, so prophecy, fulfillment, praise. So Zechariah, poor guy, goes, goes through this, right? The angel appears to him and tells Zechariah this is going to happen. And Zechariah kind of doubts. And Zechariah is, is taught a very you know, tough lesson, uh, being muted for a while um, until it comes to pass. And they name the child John, and, you know, he believes. And at that moment, uh, his mouth's open, and he bursts into praise because this prophecy just got fulfilled. And also, the Holy Spirit came upon him and was allowing him to do this prophecy. So the Holy Spirit's uniquely involved in this, uh, this pattern right off the bat. By the way, huge Trinitarian themes. We see God the Father, of course. We see Jesus being born, and we see the Holy Spirit uh, being present here. So, so prophecy, fulfillment, praise. So we see the first song, the first hymn, which is a really neat feature about Luke, these hymns showing up. Um, and, and some of your Bibles will offset that so you can see that, uh, but these hymns. So this first song is uh, Zechariah's uh, uh, Benedictus is, is the Latin first name of, of the song, Blessed Be is Benedictus. Um, and then uh, later on, Mary gets to... Actually, maybe I, I jumped ahead. Mary also has a song. Uh, we call that the Magnificat because the, her, her first, the first line of, of her song is, is, I magnify the Lord. Magnify. And, and, and there, too, we see the, the Holy Spirit present. We see a prophecy and we see a fulfillment. And then we see Mary bursting out in praise and song. Simeon does the same thing. He, he has a song. Um, it's called the Nuke Demitis, which... 
is the Latin for the first line again, and it's uh, now permit, now permit me, um, or, or now dismiss your servant, now dismiss. Um, so kind of neat. So I wanted you to see these themes going on here. Now let me set the setting to you really quick uh, on, on chapter 2 here. Um, we were told uh, just a couple verses before that uh, Mary and Joseph's time for purification, according to the law of Moses, um, they were to bring Jesus up to Jerusalem. Uh, Mary had to provide her uh, purification offering. Um, so in the Jewish customs, if you gave birth, you were unclean, ceremonially unclean for a while. And so you would uh, have to wait a certain period, depending on if it was a boy or a girl. Um, and, and in this case, 40 days. And so she uh, would come to the temple uh, in the courts of the... There's, there's two outer courts, a court of Gentiles and a court of women. And, and so she'd come out, and she would make a, an offering. Um, there's an offering of lamb for those that are maybe more wealthy, and an offering of, of uh, pigeons or doves. And not being of a lot of means, they offered a pair of, of doves. Um, and then also this idea of a... Uh, Presentation or offering of the firstborn male uh, to set, be set apart to the Lord. Um, in fact, uh, the custom was you had to pay, if it was your firstborn uh, son, you had to pay a ransom of five shekels. Um, and so that was an option. You didn't have to bring your son up to this if you were going to do that. You could just leave the son at home, come up to the uh, temple and provide your offering and your shekel, your ransom. Um, that, that specific ceremony is not mentioned here because the third ceremony is implied that they were offering their son as unto service of the Lord. Um, and so that, that's what happens. So they bring Jesus here. Uh, and so, of course, there's your uh, pair of dove uh, sacrifices um, in verse 2. So, so here we are in the temple, and this is the scene, the setting, uh, just after Jesus is born, 40 days or so. Um, and, and something neat is happening here. There is this anticipation and excitement for some. And now we meet this man named Simeon. So let me read for us. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, verse 25, who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or Messiah. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now here his song starts. Now, according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, listen carefully. This child is destined, destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. So I find this account fascinating. I, I love little obscure passages. And, and to me, this was one that I just never heard um, spoke, spoken of a whole lot. Uh, so forgive me, I, I, I like to geek out a little bit, and so I, I kind of dove deep into some of the details here. I'll, I'll try to spare you some of them. Uh, I only have like seven minutes or so left, but I, I want to give you just a few things here. Um, so in Jerusalem, uh, of course, this was where our, our temple was, and, and a setting was taking place. And listen to verse 25 about how it describes Simeon. It says that he was righteous and devout. Um, now, righteous and devout aren't words that we use just a whole lot um, today. I mean, especially I'm around college students a lot. We don't 
use words righteous um, and devout. But the idea of righteous is this idea of being upright, morally upright, and idea of living beyond reproach. Um, so when we see righteous describing other people in Scripture, uh, the word righteous, we see Zechariah being described as righteous. We see Job, right, described as a righteous man. Um, and uh, a few other people are described as righteous. Uh, but please understand that righteous isn't sinless, right? We know that in, in theology, only, only Christ was without sin. Man was not. So righteous doesn't mean sinless, but, but, but definitely upright and striving to, to, uh, to follow and, and, and to be set apart and to live beyond re- reproach. Um, that is that is the idea here. He is he is righteous, and then this idea of devout. Maybe maybe another word we could use is devoted. Devoted, um, spiritually sensitive, God fear, being faithful to the law, and and seeking after Him. Um, not just on Sundays, but but every day. I mean, He is devoted. He is sold out. He is all in, um, and and not again not perfect but righteous and devout. So I want you to understand that about him. That's what Scripture says. Is he's righteous and devout, devoted and upright. Um, it also says about Simeon, second part of this first verse, is that he was looking for the restoration of Israel. Maybe your translation says consolation of Israel. You know what consolation is? To be consoled, um, to be consoled about something, to be comforted. Um, but, but also this idea of restoration pops in, the restoration of Israel. This phrase is very significant to the Jewish mind because the Jews are awaiting restoration, redemption as a nation. Um, right now they're in Roman occupation and their hope is in this Messiah that the scriptures, the Old Testament seems to be pointing, pointing about and pointing to. That this nation, uh, that this Messiah would come and redeem the nation. And so this idea of consolation of a restoration of Israel is, is this idea of a, of a redemption brought about by a Messiah. Very significant theme here. Incidentally, this is, this is fascinating, and this is one of the geeky things that I want to tell you about. The idea of or the word for restoration or consolation is, uh, is, is the same word that we use for comforter or counselor. Paraclesis, paraclete, is, is where we get this idea of, of, uh, um, of the Holy Spirit being this advocate. So, so Luke is using this idea of consolation, paraclesis, uh, comfort being brought about the Messiah. Interestingly, John and a few other uh, folks in the, in the New Testament link the same idea with what the Holy Spirit is doing, of providing comfort once believers have recognized what Jesus has done. And, 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 and so later on we see, like in Acts, this idea of this paraclesis, this idea that it's a day-to-day reality for believers, <laughs> Uh, it's a day-to-day reality. They recognize the redemption that has already been brought about. So that's kind of cool. Um, so this idea of restoration of Israel, that's what he was looking for. That looking for is the same Greek word that we use for anticipation, waiting. And it's not just him. It describes who Anna goes to talk to. Uh, Anna, when, when uh, she sees Jesus, she goes and tells all the people about um, just how awesome this is and, and that uh, the one that we've all been looking for and waiting for is here. Uh, same thing, Joseph of Arimathea, um, who goes to get Christ's body. He, it's used to describe him as one who was waiting for the re- restoration, the consolation of Israel. Kind of neat. Um, but it, it apparently, uh, so this last descriptor of him in this first verse is that uh, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had this special 
relationship with the Holy Spirit that was neat. Verse 26 kind of shares a little bit more about this. It says, It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or Messiah. So apparently the Holy Spirit had given Simeon a promise that his service was not done until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And I mean, for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel had been longing and waiting for this. And Simeon here is given this promise. And Simeon, no doubt, waited a while. In fact, the idea is that Simeon perhaps was a little older in age, given the wording of this. It doesn't say specifically what his age was, but we get the idea that he was a little older um, and that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the story progresses. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit came into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying. And now we get to see the moment that really Simeon, and we have all been waiting for, (laughs) the Christ child arrives. Simeon, being sensitive to the Spirit, sees him, and and all of his promises are realized right there. (laughs) And Simeon, and, and, and picture Simeon too. Simeon seeing a infant child, and this Messiah to the Jewish mind is supposed to be like this grand conquering king, and um, it's fascinating. And so there's something unique about what Simeon is doing here and, and, and stepping out in faith and anticipation all wrapped into one. It's really neat to see Simeon recognizing this as, as the, the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And, and so he sees the prophecy fulfilled, and he bursts into song, just like the normal pattern that we've been seeing. Now, according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. I love that. He recognizes that God keeps his word, and that enables him to depart in peace. That's cool. And and really, the sense of this is that he could now pass away. He could now die. Not so much that he was looking to die, but he he realizes, okay, now I can be released from my earthly post, and I can move on um, because I have seen the Lord's salvation. Another really neat thing that happens here is he links his viewing Christ, viewing Jesus, as seeing salvation just like my brother Daniel mentioned, encountering Jesus, um, believing in his heart, and, and seeing salvation. Um, so that's another neat feature is this idea of seeing it, seeing salvation. Um, and then let me give you one more little part of the song here. Um, it says that, you're, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So this salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. This word for prepared is fascinating because Simeon recognizes that the Lord is designing this and has designed this. In fact, he, he apparently knows his scripture well because there are tons of Old Testament prophecies and scriptures that seem to point to this idea of God authoring salvation and it coming through Israel. Which is why he says in a little bit that it's glory to, to, to the nation of Israel that Jesus is born. But that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, and that's a, another real big theme all throughout Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see this idea that Israel's going to rejoice because all the nations going to be watching um, at how the Messiah has come and brought salvation. Uh, so eyes, eyes will be turning to Israel. So for your eyes, uh, for my eyes, have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light. It says, a light. Salvation is a light. Uh, this idea of light and darkness is played a lot in, in Luke especially. Um, but John too, that Jesus is a light. And light, uh, you know, it, it, it signifies this idea that darkness is being pushed back. Uh, the presence of light is pushing back darkness. And that is exactly what Jesus is. And so the significance of that is for the Gentiles, um, it's revelation. It's truth. It's a promise. Um, 
And then for the Israel, for the nation of Israel, it's it's glory because uh, Jesus, uh, God, has authored salvation through Israel. So uh, revelation to the Gentiles, it's lost in the, in, in darkness, um, and and, and glory uh, for the people of Israel who also need that salvation. So so fascinating, fascinating things. Uh, he goes on to give he, he's he's anointed by the Spirit and he starts to prophesy some more and talks about how Jesus will be the uh, the cause of the falling and rising of many. And he gives Mary sort of a ominous. Um, prophecy of how a sword will pierce her own soul as well, uh, kind of signifying the idea of Jesus being pierced in the side, but, but also talking about how emotionally this is not going to be an easy journey for you. Um, this is going to be tough. So this is fascinating to me. I, the, I, the idea of Simeon having this promise and holding out hope um, is, is really neat to me. What's also interesting is there's uh, in Matthew uh, 2, it talks about uh, when the Magi came, uh, and I'm almost done, but when the Magi came, uh, they were warned in a dream uh, to not return to Herod. Um, and it also mentions in there about how uh, Herod was terrified about all this news, and so was all of Jerusalem. It was not a surprise to people that this Messiah was being born. Um, if you were looking for it, you shouldn't have been surprised. Simeon was looking for it. Um, in fact, it also says that they were they were terrified about they were uh, people of Jerusalem were uncomfortable about this coming Messiah. Really interesting response. But Simeon is different. Simeon is looking for this response and expecting it. Um, and same with Anna later on. Uh, same concept. Oh, uh, she, she, it says that she just lived out in the temple courts <laughs> day and night, um, waiting for this. So I wanted to give you a few observations about this idea of anticipation. Um, and how uh, Simeon is living this out. So first off, Simeon is living like he believes the promise. If God keeps his words, are we living like it? Is the question for, is my question for us today. If God keeps his words, are we living like it? Simeon believed in God's promise. Simeon uh, lived out in the hope that God would fulfill what he said he would, what he said he would. In scripture. So Simeon, the first observation is Simeon was devoted. Uh, Simeon sought first the kingdom of God and didn't worry about anything else. Uh, his, his eyes were focused. Uh, it says that he was righteous and, and, and not necessarily sinless, but he was striving hard and he was devoted to it. Um, second, Simeon was expectant. This idea of expectation and, and, and operating in anticipation that something will happen. I think a really cool picture of this, perhaps one of the best pictures of this, expectant, is like an expectant mother, right? A, a mom, you know, she, she realizes that within nine months she's going to give birth, a baby is coming, and she's going to operate and change her life now in response to this coming reality. So what does she do? Uh, she, she goes on to Amazon and starts buying all these, you know, expensive baby gear stuff. Uh, she starts eating a different way. Uh, she stays away from the alcohol and uh, tries to start eating a little, little more healthier and taking her vitamins. She, she starts to baby-proof her house and put the covers over the plugs and anchor down the, the, the bookshelves and everything. She's operating on the promise of a coming reality. It, it's, it's affecting her now, and she lets it change the way she lives now. Um, I love that picture. A mother of an expectant child. That's what Simeon was doing. He was operating and living in a way because he was expecting a result, a certain reality that was coming. And the third observation about Simeon was that he was sensitive to the spirit. Um, 
Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Sometimes we Baptists, we are a little nervous about studying the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the reality is, is that Jesus talked about how it was good for him to go so that the Spirit would come. The same Spirit is this counselor, this consoler, this paraclete. Uh, a counselor, right, knows the law and knows his client. And so he's going to operate and, and uh, be an ambassador to the two um, and, and relate the two. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It dwells within us as believers. And he uh, operates on, on our behalf half and he knows the Lord and he knows uh, he knows God the Father, he knows my heart and he's working together uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does, it says that the Holy Spirit uh, convicts us of sin the Holy Spirit guides us, uh, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf um, that is what the Holy Spirit does uh, and my part is to be obedient and so uh, what Simeon does is that he is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he recognizes the Holy Spirit's presence and he is sensitive to it okay, so how can we live like God keeps his words, let me give you a few little challenges here, so if we, if we believe that God's going to keep his word and follow, his, follow through with it, are we living that way? And, and so in order to live like it, you've got to know what God's word is to begin with. <laughs> and, and I feel like uh, we probably would, would benefit from getting in our words more and understanding and seeing these truths. And it's not that scripture is hard to understand. Nine times out of ten, the biggest problem is, is that we're just not willing to go to it, um, to even give it a shot. Um, and so, uh, so to know God's word to begin with, we, ha- we have to get into our word and study it. Um, so devote some time every day uh, to getting into your word. Um, and I know you're not perfect, and, and I'm not perfect, uh, but it's this idea of devotion and trying, getting knocked down, getting back up again, having days where you maybe got really busy and you didn't get in your word, but getting back up and getting back in it. Uh, in order to know God, we got to know his word and see his word. And just like we said, in order to to see salvation is to see Jesus. And so learn about your salvation that you have as believers uh, by digging into his word. Second, live expectantly. <laughs> Let your faith change your life now. Um, we don't live like that often. And like Simeon, I think we have an example with him uh, of living in a way th- uh, that we live expectantly and uh, that our faith changes our life now. So we make preparations uh, for our retirement. Uh, why don't we start making eternal preparations um, and then encouraging each other in that, holding each other accountable, uh, spurring one another on, um, this idea of living expectantly now. And then third, be sensitive to the Spirit. And, and, and more than anything, it's obedience, being obedient to him, uh, recognizing his presence and what he does, how he operates in your life. Uh, convicting you of sin, interceding on your behalf. Uh, he is our counselor, so let him, let him guide you. Uh, be sensitive to the Spirit.